0: Let's all go to the lobby,
1: let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to
0: the
2: lobby, let's all go to the lobby. Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I am Rivka Rivera.
0: And I am Frank Capello. Rivka, I am so excited that it is almost the holiday break. Uh, we're gonna be taking a couple weeks off. So there won't be no episodes the mm. next two weeks. And you know what? There are so few times of the year where it's just like, oh, I, I, I get a week where I don't have to do anything. I can't wait. I'm
2: panicking. Panicking,
0: I'm panicking over panicking. <laughs> over what?
2: Well So you wanna keep productive? <laughs> As you know, me being um, a Capricorn, I was about to say rising. It's not rising. I'm a cancer rising and newly discovered Libra moon. So it's all clicking. But as a Capricorn, I am um, <laughs> susceptible to like truly probably the most susceptible to some of the, the capitalist workaholism. So my mantras are like, you know, find the joy and pleasure in small things. And like, so yes, I, I do panic and I'm excited, but I'm a little panicked because I feel the urge to like the things that my brain, the lists I've already filled with like productivity and how I'm going to just like clean house. And I'm already like have like my tech. I'm going like, to clean out my tech. I'm going to clean out my house. I am there's no actual t- Like I need to chill like you're saying. Yeah. So I am excited, but I am. I'll be. I'll be honest. I'm panicking. I'm working on it. I'm
0: working know, on it. I know. I I could tell. I could tell. You're 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 putting in the time. You're putting in the you're putting in the work. If you need me to like call, if you need me to be like your accountability buddy, I call you up once a day and just be like, "Hey, Riv, chill out. Just relax. Go Thank take a nap." You. Um,
2: yeah, and you know, I probably will. I'm also. good. I'm not. Not. I don't want people to think I'm not. Not good at chilling. You know me. I'm like I could part. I can. I can chill.
0: <laughs> you are about to say I can party?
2: I can. <laughs> I can, I can fucking party. Party.
0: <laughs> well. We're going to keep this short today, but first we wanted to talk really briefly about the end of this this past summer's week of labor actions in Hollywood in the entertainment industry. So, after several weeks of voting on December 5th, SAG-AFTRA, the actors union, ratified its new contracts. The contract was approved with 78% of the of those voting voting in favor, although the turnout for the vote was only 38% of SAG-AFTRA's total membership. So very poor turnout. So really a very small margin of SAG members are the ones who actually ratified this contract. You know, we don't need to belabor it. We've talked about it on here. There were a lot of gains in terms of compensation, in terms of streaming residuals that hadn't existed previously. But the big concern that a lot of rank and file SAG members still had were the uh, protections against artificial intelligence. Specifically, what what the ended what the final deal ended up including was, yes, studios can use AI performers, but actors will have the opportunity to either consent or not consent for their likenesses to be used as AI performers or to create new synthetic performers. You know that that AI can create on a, on its own. So. So the criticism from a lot of SAG members has been that, you know, this this provision is not strong enough. It'll basically create a situation where every time a SAG member books a job, they're going to have to be asked, hey, do you consent to us having your likeness forever? And will it create scenarios where if they don't consent, then the producers can just say, okay, well, we'll find another actor. So that's sort of mm-hmm. the big, still scary, looming thing. But... It's but it's officially done. Here we are. Yeah. How are you feeling about it? I know we've talked a little bit about it, but
2: for the record. Yeah, I voted no. I don't know why I need (laughs) need that on the record. And it could have been. I don't know. I voted no. And I also and I still was like, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is here other than like looking forward to a general strike. Been such a in such a big year. (laughs) I an guess my year. thoughts are an eventful year. I guess my thoughts are we really wanted, but the, the vibe was like, let's just move into 20. If we're leaving something in 2023, if we're leaving something, I wanted it to be AI. Like, <laughs> but it turns out no. And you know, and that may have been unrealistic. Like we're bringing it forward with us. It's a tool we're going to have to live with. It is a little scary. It is scary. But um, I think I got to think there's hope.
0: I, I, I hear you. And I do think that, the widespread implementation of AI across pretty much every industry will accelerate and will catalyze a lot of labor action in the coming decades. Agreed. I, I hope I really, I mean, we have to hope and we have to work towards that, scenario because if we don't then we're then it's only going to become a scenario where you know just a few billionaires becoming trillionaires at the top who own all of the AI who are just hoarding all of the wealth created by this technology that is replacing human jobs and that's part of a much larger conversation about technology and labor and you know yeah. accelerationism but it seems that's where we're headed and I and I hope I hope it ends up being a scenario where yes people wake up and there is a like you're saying, a general strike, large collective action for people to reclaim their power in this new technological economy.
2: You know what? This is interesting because thinking about and maybe I'm just in a very reflective mood and we'll get into that more in the episode today. But the role of imagination in societal change, in revolution, in all of it, and that's what we look at on this podcast, I'm thinking about like, wow, you know, it does – I really – I'm ready for the movies that show us – and maybe please let us know if there's good ones out there, but that aren't perpetuating, like, the fear-based – and not that it's not good to know, like, here's the dangers, here's the horrors of what could happen, but we don't have that – I want to strengthen that imagination of what – how robots can help us. Maybe there's some of that in the, in the, in the Matrix a little bit, potentially – I don't know, in the next two, maybe I'm just saying things. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to see the utopia because we're, yeah. we, everyone spends so much time saying like, well, that's not, po- it's, but we don't see it actually it is. Like, it's very clear the ways in which this technology could be extremely helpful and maybe actually relieve anyone of doing like manual labor that's not bringing them joy.
0: Yeah, that's the utopian ideal. So I
2: want to see more of those movies. Please let us know if you know... Of good ones that are or bad ones but just ones that are in that realm of you know looking at AI through that imaginative lens I also just wanted again in this reflective reflexive ref- reflective moment which I hope everyone gets to have some reflection because I think that's one of the beautiful things about this time of year I was really thinking a lot about our conversation with Brian on Zoolander. <laughs> 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 but truly, I think it got to what was so interesting. It really got our conversation got to the core of what I think you and I were are both really moved by and interested in why we keep doing this podcast and having these conversations is that criticism is not just an intellectual act it's an emotional act and it's an act of love but it's so rarely viewed that way particularly because capitalism is terrified of any critique because that will open the hearts and minds (laughs) and and wake people up there's of course well i shouldn't say of course i don't want to assume anyone's heard it but there's a james baldwin quote that i love from his essays notes of a native son and he says, I love America more than any other country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And I think, yeah, that's something I want to continue. It's a it's a practice. Like, I think at criticism, you have to practice it. Because I think Brian had some good point. It can harden people. I think it can become a, a binary act if you're not practicing it as something that's expansive and nuanced and an act of love. I do think you can criticize sure. not through that lens. I think you can you can criticize as a way as a means of defense and close down and shutting down any other perspective. But then it's ultimately not really criticism because criticism in itself I think is inherently looking at everything from every angle. Again, I just discovered that I'm a Libra moon. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs>
0: All right, well, we must get into our conversation today about The Muppet Christmas Carol. But before we do, just want to let you all know that this podcast is produced by the two of us.
2: We perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen.
0: And as we're trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we will not be selling ads on this show. We rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon.
2: For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you'll be directly supporting this show You can also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com.
0: You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast player. It only takes a few seconds, and it is very helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, so we really appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with our conversation about The Muppet Christmas Carol with Ren Mac.
2: Okay, well, we are joined again by one of our favorite guests, Ren Mack. They, them. Ren is a performer, a writer, a filmmaker, and teacher. They wrote and are currently performing in a sold-out run of their one-person immersive phone game called Nuance with Candlehouse Collective. Ooh. Yeah, I'm excited to ask about this. Off the telephone wires, Ren most recently appeared in No Finer Way, an immersive production in a defunct train station in, am I saying this right? Bremerhaven? Bremerhaven. Bremerhaven, Germany. Nailed
0: it. Oh, that was good.
2: Thank you. We have, let's see, you gave me the phonetics for this. Das letzte Kleinod. Das letzte Kleinod. Yeah. Let's decline. yeah i was giving it, it was way too soft when i did it does let's decline, yes with the gut <laughs> they are also an award-winning indie film producer were published by rutledge press served as the voice of the united states cisa security alerts which we discussed in our matrix episode go back and give that a listen and performed in bottom of the ocean a new york times critic pick they have taught at New York Film Academy, Trinity College, and workshops worldwide. They most recently served as a guest lecturer at Columbia University. Welcome back to the pod, Ren. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so stoked to be here.
0: Ren, it's so good to have you back. It's so good to see you. Uh, you we've gotten rave reviews from our listeners that your episode with, uh, that you did with us on The Matrix has, is a fan favorite. It's The, the people have spoken. It's, it's one of the best mvc episodes of all time
1: it's an honor and uh you know we had really good source material like we could have mined the matrix for another three hours it's an incredible film
2: before we get into it great source material today as well but before we get into it tell us a little bit about this one person immersive phone game i'm really curious about how this works and what it is
1: yes so candlehouse collective is uh, a theater company that primarily does theater not always but um often via the phone um so in order to experience their shows all you need is a telephone and some time sometimes you need privacy sometimes you don't but these are one-on-one experiences so uh the there is a performer on the other end of the line. This is not something that's pre-recorded. And um, you have an experience. And so I'm involved with uh, two projects with them right now. Nuance, which I wrote with contributions from Evan Neiden, um, who is the artistic director of Candle House. And I am a performer in Lennox Mutual, which is opening on January 5th of next year. Um, and uh, tickets are going on sale on Sunday, which we're very excited about. Nuance is essentially... You receive an image that maybe you weren't supposed to see um, via text. And then a PR company calls you to follow up because their client (laughs) accidentally sent it and they need to suss you out. And things get progressively more manic uh, from there. I'm
2: trying not to spoil (laughs) it. too much oh you did it no i'm so intrigued if when one buys a ticket run you said you call them up so our ticket is there a limited amount of shows you do a day because i would imagine that's really a lot for you as a performer if you're doing one-on-one non-pre-recorded
1: yes the show is about a half hour and i do between two and four a day and uh audience members uh participants because you are you are a part of the show. It's not happening at you, and different things will happen depending on what you choose and do. It really is like a game. I've designed it like a game, so there's many different ways that the story can go, uh, depending on what you do. But yeah, you pick the time, um, and uh, you submit your phone number as a part of your onboarding, and somebody calls you um, <laughs> at the appointed time.
0: So That's cool. That's so fucking cool. I love like when I find out that, like, theater storytelling has like break in a new broken a new format and found a new venue that like I never even considered, but then as soon like the telephone, it's like, yeah, why the fuck can't plays just be on the telephone? And then as soon as I hear that, I'm like, why can't they be just on the telephone? That's awesome. I want to check this out. This sounds dope.
1: And this was part of uh, our Giving Tuesday uh, drive. so um, it was part of a larger um, thing. Several ensemble members wrote shows and it's called Radio Arcade all of them together so uh all of them are based on old video games so nuance nuance um i'll let you guess from the poster which one it's based on but it is very fun it's it can be nostalgic i have gotten feedback like oh god and is this being recorded so (laughs) that gives you (laughs) sure an idea
0: (laughs) Amazing. Well, we'll make sure to link to this in the show notes because this will be coming out next week. So, But you are here today to speak with us again about a film. And I'm very excited that we you chose this film. We we asked a few returning guests, you know, if you're interested in doing a holiday movie with us. And if so, what would that be? So you chose the Muppet Christmas Carol, not a Muppet Christmas Carol, the, the definitive Muppet Christmas Carol, directed by Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son written by Jerry Jewell, based on the novel A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge, Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit, Miss Piggy as Mrs. Cratchit, the Great Gonzo as Charles Dickens, Fozzie Bear as Fozzie and Rizzo the Rat as Rizzo the Rat. And those voice performances, along <laughs> with a myriad of other characters in the film, are performed by Steve Whitmire, David Goles, Jerry Nelson, and Frank Oz. The budget was $12 million, only made $33 million worldwide. They were hoping for more, and we'll we'll discuss a little bit of why it didn't make as much money as I th- they thought. Although I'm assuming it's made a lot more now in the, the age of streaming licensing, because this is a lot of people's, one of their favorite holiday classics. If you haven't seen this movie or haven't seen it in a while, uh, it's the story of a Christmas Carol, which we all know. It's been done in many different ways. You know, Ebenezer Scrooge. He's a, a he's a, a miser, a moneylender. No one likes him. Very greedy. His dead business partner shows up one night and is like, "Hey, you're gonna basically go to hell unless you change your ways." So these three ghosts are gonna show up and show you your Christmases so that you just become a better person. He meets some ghosts. They go on journeys and by the end he comes out and he's like, I got to give my employee Bob Cratchit a raise and just be a generally better person overall. So that's A Christmas Carol. Um, I didn't want to go to the trouble of actually writing it down because I feel like everyone (laughs) knows the story of A Christmas Carol.
2: It's one of the most adapted tales and we'll get more into it. But before we do, some context for when The Christmas Carol came out. It was released on December 11th, 1992. So just had an anniversary a few days ago and... So, we're in the year 1992. It's the final year of George H.W. Bush's presidency. In February of that year, a court in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, sentenced serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer to life in prison. In April, approximately 500,000 people marched on Washington, D.C. in support of abortion rights in advance of oral arguments in the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey. In late April, In Simi Valley, California, a jury acquits four LAPD officers accused of excessive force in the videotaped beating of Rodney King, a black man causing the 1992 Los Angeles riots, which resulted in 53 deaths and $1 billion in damages. Wow. What a year. And we're just, and I, there's more to come. In May, the 27th Amendment to the United States Constitution is enacted regarding congressional pay raises. This is the last amendment that has been added to the U.S. Constitution. In late May... Johnny Carson retires as the host of The Tonight Show, replaced by Jay Leno. In August, the Mall of America, constructed on 78 acres, opens in Bloomington, Minnesota. In November, Bill Clinton defeats incumbent George H.W. Bush in the presidential election. And on November 25th, Disney releases the animated film Aladdin, which goes on to be the highest grossing film of that year. That last one just placed me because I'm like I know where I was. Yeah,
0: holy shit! Wow. Ninety ninety two. My God! And that was actually what that. That's the reason that Muppet Christmas Carol didn't do so well because it was going up against Aladdin mm. and Home Alone two. Lost in New York.
2: Oh wow!
0: Yeah. So oh, those wow. two movies were just eating its lunch. So they're, the Muppets stood no chance.
2: God
1: bless. They're so gentle. They don't have any fight in them. <laughs> they
0: they don't. They don't. They just, want to, they just want to throw some rubber chickens around, you know? <laughs> so, Ren, the first thing we start with, we ask our guests, why did you choose this movie to talk about?
1: Because it's
0: perfect.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, everyone has, like, their Christmas movie. This is mine. You know, I have always loved A Christmas Carol, but I think that a lot of adaptations can take themselves a little too seriously sometimes. Like, you know... Like, we must punish Scrooge and we must let everybody know that he's a bad, bad man. It's like, bro, if you can't see that somebody who's foreclosing on people at Christmas is bad, like, (laughs) we're not doing our jobs, you know. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's silly. It's fun. It's light. But it also, like, grabs you. But, you know, it grabs your beating heart out of your chest and, you know, makes you look at it. I love this film. I I also I love puppetry. Um one of one of the things I am getting into in this last year is puppetry. And so the artistry oh, cool. of especially the opening numbers of this film mm. are just like there's got there's you know at least 20 puppeteers operating. You know, it's absolutely incredible the way they did the Ghost of Christmas Past, you know, um which is yeah. a puppet that is not person that is a puppet that they shot underwater and green screened
0: in you know wow. like oh wow so I wondering cool. how they achieve that look yeah
1: that floaty yeah it's got the line god save my little broken body like which i say daily you know <laughs> like how can you not how can mm-hmm. you not love it you know it's and and it's got a lot of food mentions and i love food and i love descriptions of food.
0: One of my favorite things about the muppet universe is, is that we get talking food all yes. the time. It's one of it's one of their best running bits. I think like the first joke yeah. in this movie is a is a wagon of pumpkins being like, "Help, we're being stolen." <laughs> yes.
1: Oh my god. Which it, like that's like one of my first bullet points on my notes over here. I was like, "This is so <laughs> important." Because this also is such an anti not I'm not even sure if it's anti-capitalist inherently. It's just sort of like, mm-hmm. "Hey, this sucks." Maybe not this. You know, like maybe there is an alternative Mm -hmm. and that is, you know, something that I think is at the heart of sometimes sort of saccharine sentiments of the season about like, you know, goodwill towards men and all of that. Like, it's like, yeah, but what does that actually mean? How do we apply that? And I think there's like a very clear blueprint in Christmas Carol without there being any spirituality whatsoever. There's just freaky ghosts. That's another thing I freaking love about this. It's a ghost story.
0: Mm. And Charles
1: Dickens explicitly says it's a ghost story because Christmas is kind of haunted.
0: It's like the subtitle, I think, of the original book is like a ghost story for Christmas. Yeah, one yeah, of the things I
2: read in prepping for this, and I didn't write it down, but I should have, so I can't remember exactly, but I, I know that Dickens was visiting the U.S. and was in a jail cell in Pennsylvania just and thinking about, wow, if you were here and actually your punishment would be, is the ghosts coming and kind of going over? And that's where that the genesis of this ghost idea came. Through, but I'm with you I mean I think the I mean just the basic it's the most adapted story right it's just such an incredible ritual that happens I love the I love this I love the time of year of holiday time I love the new year and like the end of year and this I'm maybe it's the Capricorn in me I love summarizing I like getting down like what you know <laughs> I think I've shared this before I keep a timeline of my of my life because I really like that orientation of just like what it means to look at past, present, and future. And I just, and this archetype is so, it's so incredible. He wrote, Dickens wrote this story in six weeks, which is amazing. And it just kind of flung out of him. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it wasn't, I mean, he's already popular. Like, he's already done Oliver Twist. He's already done these, apparently like needed a hit. This is his, I need a hit story. <laughs> <laughs> and a hit did he, did he Well, right. I think he did okay. <laughs> I think he did okay. I think he did okay. And it's just like, wow, what an amazing thing. Like, I'm sure there's obviously hints of other archetypal stories, but what it is to like write something so, it's just so crucial to the way we think of storytelling now and to look, you know, this concept of what it means to look back at your life and learn something. I will live my life in the past, present and future. I love that sentiment. That's my favorite. One of my favorite things about this tale.
1: Mine too. Yeah, the temporality of love, Mm. like how love transforms you so that, you know, like a lot of, a lot of, you know, meditation teachers and such will talk about like, you know, this oceanic feeling that you have uh, when you are like, you feel connected to other people and to the universe and one calls that love, but it also has to do with time. You feel like you're in the present, but you're also allowing the past to exist and the future to exist without assuming you know it mm. and the present too like it all keeps you curious and that curious like and that i think is like one of scrooge's biggest shifts is he goes from being somebody who always has an answer for everything and always has a snappy comeback to somebody who is just utterly shaken by a little boy telling him it's Christmas day. Like he's mm-hmm. like just full of wonder again, you mm-hmm. know, like, but that, that, that temporality like leads you to curiosity and more openness and possibility and therefore connecting with other people. Like it's just, it's just a gorgeous story and it's a Christmas mm. story with no Jesus in it. As a Jew, I love this <laughs> yeah. because yeah. I, I go, i I go nuts for Christmas. I like Christmas is my favorite. It's such a great holiday. I'm just like not about the church. That's just not for me. But like, it's so nice to just be like, yeah, Holly, red, green, love it.
2: Yeah. And this and time of year, it's so there's so much darkness in this story, which makes the warmth and the light and the glow inside so warm. Mm-hmm. I want to just riff off, because yeah. I'm thinking about this now a little differently, in terms of the spirituality of this story, and there's something, I've just been thinking a lot this month about the, the power of witnessing, of bearing witness, what it means to bear witness, as we look at what, what's happening in Gaza and Israel, and for each other, and as things just seem to get worse and worse in many ways in the world, our role is witness bearers and in some ways it's fascinating because scrooge that's this act is like the ghosts come and they're like you're gonna bear witness to your past you're gonna bear witness to your present you're gonna bear witness to your future and that's scrooge's role because i'm sure there could have been another way to write the story where you go in interact but there's no real interacting it's just stand back and and allow the the act of bearing witness to transform and change you
1: and that brings me to the love is gone I mean, just that's that's my big moment of him bearing witness. Like, I think it's the first time in the sequences uh, where he realizes, like, he stops trying to reach for people or call out someone's name. He just stands there weeping as his fiancé leaves him. And, it like, it was, you know, famously cut from the uh, theatrical release because it was too sad. Because he's just, I mean, like... As many people on the Internet have stated, like Michael Caine, uh, you know, is as serious as a heart attack about this role. Like he really <laughs> played it so straight. And like and he's unbelievable scene, in this movie acting his he face is off incredible. And like and I mean, like what incredible scene partners he had. But like <laughs> some people can't do it with a Muppet and he really just like is so engaged with them at all moments. But he loses it. And like and he just starts accepting that he just has to watch and that there's nothing, you know, that he can do to change what's happening there. But that's what I think galvanizes him to change things in the future, which is, you know, like you have to kind of have that helplessness. And like, Riv, I feel like this is like what you're to your point about bearing witness right now because we we are essentially seeing it unfold on social media. We are watching the these atrocities completely just unfold in real time in front of us. We are forced to act. We are forced to do more than just repost or raise awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, we are forced to actually like like I I have found myself actually not posting that much um, about it. And instead focusing my energy on, you know, using five calls and contacting my representatives and, you know, organizing, you know, I just am not, I, I feel like I've hit my point with social media where I'm like, I'm done sharing information on there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I just cannot handle
2: only bearing witness. Well, and that seems to be like your point about the galvanizing, like you can't, there's a point where that's not. It's not serving it its just role hit, if it's yeah. not metabolized and mm-hmm. pushed forward. And that is this tale.
1: Yeah, but that feeling of helplessness is necessary.
0: And that's why Dickens wrote this story. I mean, it was like, it was, Rivka, as you're saying, you're right. He did need a hit. He had like, I forget <laughs> the name of some serialized novel that was not performing well. He needed a hit, but also this is very much a part of Dickens's worldview. And just like a little bit, if you don't know that much about Charles Dickens, he was born to a middle-class family, which got into financial difficulties when he was very young as a result of his father's spending habits. And in 1824, his father was committed to a debtor's prison. And then Charles Dickens, at age 12, was forced to pawn all of his books, leave school, and then go work at a shoe blacking factory. So this is wow. a man who had firsthand experience with just the like oppressive and destructive nature of our economic system and then was a child laborer. And then as he grows up and becomes, you know, an acclaimed novelist, you know, Oliver Twist is very much about, you know, industrial London of that era and all the homeless, illiterate children that he saw on a day to day basis running around the streets of London. And his his societal critique is very much rooted in, you know, like we we must we can and must be doing more for the people on the margins of our society. And so right around this time, he needs this hit. He's actually like, he's he's taking tours of prisons, like you're saying, Rivka, in, in the US and in the UK. He's very uh, involved in the local reformist scenes. He's like doing speeches and writing pamphlets about economic and educational reform. And then all of this stuff sort of coalesces around the same time where he's like, fuck, I need money, my wife just had her fifth kid, fucking London is this shit cesspool because of, like, the way that we've industrialized so fast and the way that capitalism has put all these pressures on our economic system, okay, great, I'm gonna write a story that tells people that being a rich asshole sucks, and I'm gonna make it a Christmas story? That way everyone buys it, and that's how (laughs) we got here, which I think, it's, like, amazing, it's an amazing synthesis of just, like, all of the different... Factors of his life and the way that he was viewing society as this deeply unfair and ine- equal place. One thing I wanted to say about a *Christmas Carol* the story, and this isn't an original thought, but I just want to bring it back to the the anti-capitalist framing, uh, and just address that Dickens literally was living and existing at the same time as Karl Marx, but his you know his read and and what's portrayed in this story is is not so much of a societal critique as it is just like a I don't know a individual critique a bourgeois critique of you know he's not actually challenging the system of capitalism he's just saying well what if the people with all the money were just a little bit nicer so it falls a little flat from being like a full-blown systemic critique so yeah so i just wanted to lay that out before we got totally. before we moved away from dick yeah. dickens too much
2: yeah. yeah yeah but you know what Thanks this movie so doesn't move as you're saying that i i was thinking about how pretty awesome it is that this movie doesn't remove the politics i mean it's hard to remove some obviously some of the core politics of a christmas carol although i'm sure there have been adaptations that have tried but this really has certain lines like from the very top that are like from rizzo the the rat saying you know he's with all the food at the top and he's eating some of the apples and he says i'm creating scarcity it drives the prices up like It's up up in there from the top. This is 92, so it's really, it kind of also brings it in this present tense way to make it very of the time and make it very clear that this is not like a, that that a Christmas Carol is happening today and it is an eternal story. So I think kudos to this film for doing that. And I think let's jump into some of like some of the, the nitty gritty politics of the Christmas Carol film.
1: I mean, yeah, I think there's, like, so much that is really, like, verbatim, you know, from the Charles Dickens book version. But there's also, like, lovely little, they go further. They go further. Um, in Like, in the past when they're in the schoolhouse, you know, uh, Sam the Eagle is like, work hard, lad, <laughs> and one day your life will be <laughs> as solid as this very building. And then a shelf collapses. <laughs> you know? And it's a shelf that is stru- is staggering under the weight of a bunch of geniuses like you know like Aristotle mm-hmm. and Shakespeare and then it's you know Gonzo and Rizzo on the end and like they're crushed by all of these busts of like Western <laughs> civilization
0: which they <laughs> like, gave they Muppet didn't... faces to which I really appreciated yes fully constructed busts with Muppet they faces. didn't yep. have to go this hard but <laughs> yeah. so hard
1: but like the Muppets have this history of doing this like one of the first uh I. Am I am recalling this correctly? A Muppet Scholar will correct me, but one of the first appearances of the Muppets uh on television was um the business business sketch. Are we familiar
2: with this? Sounding familiar. I don't know it that is one off the
1: top of my head, no. Little creatures going business, business,
0: business, business,
1: and like, you know, and starting to say things like stocks rising, you know, there's you know, they're too little. Just saying like word salad of like business mm. speech. And then, you know, another Muppet comes in and goes, love, like, and it's all very, like, rhythmic. It's like phenomena a little bit. It's like the ancestor of phenomena, Got it. And, you know, and then the eventually, like, the, the love brotherhood Muppets take over and they get together and they're like, yeah, this is great. And then they get into, they're like, oh, you know, like, we should share resources. But if we sold the extra ones at a profit and then they turn into (laughs) business business by the end like like jim henson has has been down since the beginning and he just puts it in in phrasing that we don't see it immediately you know or we don't you know we're like oh this is for kids but he's an educator he's an educator
0: absolutely i mean there's a reason that the muppet show was like as hugely successful and popular as it was because it was like it was like very well written, sharp comedy and music and performance. It was just like an incredible variety show. I've seen enough of the original Muppet Show, but I, I think like people of our generation don't realize that yeah, like in the mid seventies, like the Muppet Show was like a primetime hit. Like people, like adults were tuning in to watch the Muppet Cher Show. Cher was week.
1: on it. Like every mm-hmm. everyone was on it. Like Every single person was on it. It was it was
2: for grown-ups too, for sure. It's interesting you brought up the scene with the teacher. That was a crucial scene for me as well. I, I was thinking I was just thinking about Christmas Carol and Scrooge's journey in a different way on this rewatch. And I was thinking about the role of trauma and abuse under capitalism. And just I was like, oh, this is we're seeing in the past the origin story of sort of this evil capitalist archetype and there were you know if i was going to critique a little and i i haven't read a christmas carol i will say so i don't know if there's more of this in there but i wanted more of like (laughs) to know a little more of like scrooge's context and material context where were his parents why weren't they there what was it like larger external system that was causing that but i did think Mm -hmm. it was interesting in his journey it was important that that was like we were seeing that like this was taught to him even if well-meaning it was passed down that he's like, business is the American way. And then he goes, oh, I mean the British way because it's not an American story. That it's important that in that scene, you know, if we're getting anything, that it's like, this is this is what was, there was someone who before this wasn't inherently this system, which I think can be tricky because sometimes with a Scrooge story, you can lean into this inherent evil idea, idea that he was maybe just born a grumpy, angry man. And- So this is really important that we see the ways in which Scrooge was formed and shaped by the system of capitalism and by these exploitative systems. And then, like you were saying, that scene between him and what is her name, the woman that he proposes to? Belle. Belle of course Belle. Well, and also, by the way, young Scrooge could get it. Young Scrooge
0: Such a snack. Oh my god. Such
1: a snack.
2: (laughs) Oh my god I, the cheekbones and how
1: he looks like michael Caine, like yeah. He, yeah you're just like excuse me i'm like tucking my hair behind my ear um
0: <laughs> honestly like kind of poor casting because as soon as i saw young adult scrooge i was like this guy isn't turning into an asshole he's getting so much ass in 19th century london his life <laughs> is, is great
2: yeah, but that was but so that's good. That's the problem. He had exactly. everything. He had everything. Well, and also what I what I saw there because I was like, what's going on here? Right? Like, it was what was so heartbreaking in that moment was to see how he just really bought into this idea that, which he he wasn't wrong in some. I understand that anxiety of like, I can't have a family and a house with you. The material conditions are that like we're gonna starve. Mm. And his anxiety was actually very real there. And was and I was like, oh, I'm having a moment of empathy with my dear Scrooge here. He wasn't wrong. It's heartbreaking to see. He, and I don't know. There's something there that I want. to, And like if I was to do my own adaptation, something to expand on here, you know.
1: So to answer your question from earlier, he was placed in the boarding school by an unloving father.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So. We we are set up with daddy issues from the beginning, Mm -hmm. so you can understand how somebody preparing to start a family Mm -hmm. might go, I don't want I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're so afraid of fatherhood that you just avoid the subject altogether, you know, uh, that you you sort of disassociate into work, you know, yes. And uh, which seems very much like what he does. Like, you know, he's at Fezziwig's party and he can't chill out. And Fezziwig's like, just enjoy. And like, and I I completely identify with that feeling. It's a horrible thing to identify with, but I do. I identify with that feeling of just like, I can't, no kisses right now. I have to, I have to do work, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Get that <laughs> eggnog out have of to here. to do work. I have to pay rent. I am a serious person. I have recently, like during this holiday season, had to like meditate before outings before like fun social outings because my brain is not able to determine like is this a fun social outing or am I doing Mm -hmm. work right now you know uh and I I have to like sit down and literally tell myself to chill out and enjoy life like I Mm -hmm. I have Scrooge is such a cautionary tale it is not like a hey look at this bad guy and look at these bad capitalists It is, this is what we are all capable of becoming because of this system. Yes. You know, like, this is not, like, he is an unusually evil person. He is not presented as, you know, preternaturally evil in any way.
2: Yes. And this was the scene I really saw it. This was, because I think there are some parts where it can lean into the other one. And this was the scene that I was like, oh. And then, appropriately, Michael Caine, as you mentioned, breaks down in... Like unbelievable tears, Sobbing. his emotional life is just extraordinary. I do have to say, I don't know, Frank or Ren, have you ever have you read Michael Caine's pretty well known in the acting circles film book about acting on camera? Yes.
1: No. Mm-hmm. Well, there is
2: a moment I that... sure
1: have, and watch the videos on YouTube. <laughs> I'm obsessed. They're
2: extraordinary. I'm obsessed. He's br- it's a brilliant book, but there is, if you recall, Ren, there is a moment um, where he talks about if you're on set and you can't cry like it's not a big deal just ask for a little menthol you' tear right up so like i'm not doubting wow. the like but i love there are certain moments where i'm like he's getting it you know he's teary-eyed and i'm like yeah i've I just had this vision of like looking on the set of like with the muppets like hit me hit me with menthol just like soaking soaking the muppets heads in menthol so it
1: wafts upwards yeah like <laughs> Completely. No, but he's he's for sure. He's for sure sobbing in those scenes. As am
0: I. He carries the emotional weight of this entire movie. I mean, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like a little yes. tiny Muppet frog, tiny Tim, you know, coughing with a crutch, like even though that's a Muppet, I, that will get me.
2: Oh, really? Because I had yes. some critiques of, of I think it was Robin the Frog. I had some critiques of Robin the Frog's performance. Robin the
0: Frog, wow, okay, not my favorite Ooh. Tiny
2: Tim of all the Tiny Tims, but we'll we'll circle back.
0: But I just just to say that like Kane's commitment to this performance is really the beating heart of of this adaptation. His commitment to not only playing Scrooge, and I, I gotta say, I feel like this is one of the best Scrooges I've seen. In that it's not a broad like I'm just mean because I'm greedy. I felt a real resentment. And a real simmering anger underneath his mm-hmm. Scrooge performance, and then conversely, anytime he is he is affected by what the Muppets are doing, he is feeling such pure emotion. Like the moment of him watching the Cratchits sing their little love song, and he's starting to tear up. I started to tear up watching Michael Caine watch the Muppets. Like that's how mm. good he was or in this role. No menthol
1: menthol or no menthol? Absolutely. I mean, but he does, you know, that is, I think, part of the magic of the Muppets is that they do put humans next to them. The puppets are characters that are on the same level as humans and interacting with humans. And like one of the first things you learn when you start with puppets is that they have to
2: breathe. Hmm. Um, If they don't
1: breathe just a little bit, you don't buy it as uh, as as something that has, Mm -hmm. you know, sentience. And when you have humans next to the Muppets, the, it does it does a bit of the breathing with them and for them. Like it's it's almost yeah. slate of hand. Yeah. And so the more someone is like breathing, which I mean, Michael Caine is like in touch with his core, in touch with his voice, like the breath is moving through him. It really lends more life to the puppets. And so like when, you know, when we don't see Michael Caine crying, we, because the cut happens, uh, basically, you know, she walks away. And in the cut version, she walks away. And then we cut to Gonzo and Rizzo crying. It really sells the crying more when Michael Caine is crying near them. Like, I, it yeah, just yeah. does. It just does.
2: Yeah, he says in a GQ interview about about this movie, they ask him something, like, where do you look? And he's like, I look him right in the eyes. <laughs> i thought that was so sharp <laughs> yes right. yes you do i was like which eye though if you know if you've read the acting book you know oh uh, yeah yeah which eye, bruh?
1: the one closest always to
2: the one closest always. to camera always
1: okay i mean so he carried this but i also gotta say miles goodman his score with those french horns just get me going. And Mm -hmm. Paul Williams' songs, like I just have to I just have to give a shout out to the music. Like they they did not have to, you know, jam an entire French horn down our throat, like reach through the (laughs) screen and just like jam the whole thing in there. But they did. And I'm grateful. I'm like, thank you the whole time. It's like it's so beautiful and so moving and like really just lifts these moments of tenderness that Michael Caine plays so well.
0: The music is so fun. The songs are so catchy. Kermit the Frog and Robin the Frog's little acapella version. Best of... song.
1: Best song.
0: Best song. As soon as they were singing that, I was immediately, I was like, I, I love these two. I love Tiny Tim so much. It was a reminder to me of how susceptible I am to the power of acapella music. It just was a complete flashback to high school It's like, anytime people are singing with no instruments, I am on board. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And shout out to actors who, who like, allowing actors to sing imperfectly. I loved it. Like, they're not perfect singers. Any of them. But it made it so human and so joy-filled. And it wasn't like this. Now, I think when you see musical numbers, this score would be so done. You know? Like, so. Yeah. And it was so just like. Yes. It was so unpolished and just singing from the heart, which I loved. Well, now I feel bad that I said I, I didn't love Robin the Frog as Tiny Tim, but it's my truth. Nah, let's go in on Let's go in it's on him because he's the, the, he the heartstring puller. And yeah. to clarify, I don't mean the puppeteers. Like, I actually really appreciate, I think there was this meta thing happening where they made a choice, <laughs> which I loved, I especially Kermit the Frog. I think they made a choice that these Muppets were bad actors because... It's the Muppets in The Christmas Carol. I won't go in so much on Robin the Frog as Tiny Tim. I just thought there could have been a little bit more, like, you know, what was the line? You, like, a little bit more broken body. Like, a little bit more give me. I You just really was wanted like,
0: the sense that this Muppet was on the verge of death is what you want. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> he gave me, like, a cough. You know what I'm saying? But let's go. Uh, 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 yeah. But I think it was intentional and that was part of the humor. It had to be intentional with Kermit. This made me laugh so hard. The scene at the Christmas table when they realize that Tiny Tim has passed and Kermit (laughs) has come back and is like talking to his family and says, I can't do, I'm not going to do a good Kermit the Frog, but you can imagine like, it's all right, children. Life is made up of meetings and partings. That is the way it is. I am sure we will never forget Then there's like a beat beat, and he says, Tiny Tim? Why did he put a question mark? What was, and I said, I paused, and I go, now this is smart. They made a choice that Kermit is a terrible actor. What uh, what else (laughs) is that? He beat beat, and he goes, Tiny Tim? I was like, did you forget your son's name? I think it's his voice trying to crack.
1: I think it's like she's like starting to cry oh my god I said
2: this is so good this is this needs to be discussed well I also wonder
1: if it was a choice and maybe we're all just reading into this too much but (laughs) maybe it was also a choice to because that is a line from the original story and it almost is a reading that sounds like he's reading from a children's book Mm. Um, or he's reading you know aloud and there there are a couple moments like that throughout the film where they there are certain things that they say that are sent up in such a way that it's like this is part of yeah this is this is something that's from you know um like that whole you know Miss Piggy going through that the founder of the feast indeed you know like all of that that was a terrible Miss Piggy but you know the founder of the feast indeed yeah. is that whole exchange is from the book and there's a little bit of a measured pacing to it
2: That could be it, but it's just with a Kermit, you know, when you can't blink, you got to give a little, I'm going to go with that it was the meta choice that they're like, Kermit can't, Kermit can't act, Kermit can't get this scene. He walks in and he's like, I'm like, your son just died? Your son just died, Kermit? Do a little moment before work.
0: (laughs) It's possible. Kermit was a famously bad producer of The Muppet Show. Every week, he he was just like, I I gotta get these Muppets to do this show. And every week, they're like, fuck you, Kermit. We're gonna make your job as hard as possible. So it's possible that he's not talented in any way.
1: (laughs) He walked
0: so
2: that Liz Lemon could run. (laughs) Yes.
0: That's (laughs) exactly what it is.
2: We didn't touch on the... I know it's going back to the beginning, the setup, but where we set up Scrooge and how awful, it's like a classic scene, but there's all the little mice who work for Scrooge and then Kermit is Bob and ha- yeah, that it's like, that's one of my favorite. And also Michael Caine talks about in that GQ interview, how it was such a hilarious and hard scene to film because it would just be, he's turning around and then you would turn back and all these little mice who'd be like doing some, you know, dancing or something and then would go back to like writing and you'd see their quills. Like, I can't imagine being on that set. He said it was the most joyful thing ever. He-
0: he also had to, in like this scene, any scene where the Muppets are like directly next to Michael Caine, he had to act on a narrow plank of wood so the puppeteer, mm. so the puppeteers could be below him. So he's doing all of this on camera work while trying not to fall into a hole,
1: while trying not to fall into a hole or step on his scene partner who sure. is doing. The language so like if you've ever seen wow. like uh, a puppetry setup i i had the honor of working with um some folks uh who've worked on sesame street when i was up at the o'neill last year mm. and there are there are just like a lot of pillows on the floor there's like a special kind of like round chair that has no legs wow. that's like squashy and like they're just in these insane you know and like we just have like a ton of Duveteen to like hide body parts, Mm. and you know, but like they're just contorted into these crazy positions, and then they've got they're mic'd up, and they're like doing the voice, (laughs) and like and and then and then if you're doing it with a human, it is it is a scene partner that is like you know is not making eye contact with you, and they have a monitor so that they can see that they're Mm. you know on the correct lines. I'm not sure in 1992 what they had. Now it's much easier to have a digital monitor, just like pop that under the table and you're good to go. But it is, it is truly fascinating um, to see it work and to try to interact with it as a human.
0: Yeah, it's it is uh, puppeteering is from the little I know about it is a technically very intense process. And it's like when you watch stuff like this and it just like looks like oh yeah look look at those little Muppets running around. You forget how much. Very intense, like, technical labor went into making that look yeah. at, a, as effortless as it did. Absolutely.
1: I mean, we we'll, we haven't even talked about Jacob Marley yet, which I think is a very interesting sure. uh, thing to address. You know, he says mankind was my business, you know, mm. not as in I decided to take care of mankind as in I'm I mm. leached off of mankind, mm-hmm. you know, Um one of my favorite retellings of A Christmas Carol is um, Tom Mula's Jacob Marley's Christmas Carol. It's a four-hander. Ooh. And uh, basically, it starts with Jacob Marley's death. And he is told that if he doesn't get Scrooge to change his ways post-mortem, so he's a ghost. If he doesn't get him to change his ways post-mortem, he will be doomed to ostensibly hell. Um, like, mm-hmm. he'll be wrapped up in those chains for life. So... Jacob Marley actually is the ghost of Christmas' mm. past, present, and future, just trying to scare the shit out of his old coworker.
0: Wow
1: <laughs> So that he doesn't go to hell. It's a fabulous show. But I really love that reading on it that like mm. it's it's a like, you thought it was about Scrooge, but it's actually a redemption story for uh, Jacob Marley. But mm. I mean, Marley is like held up as like somebody who's even more evil who can't be redeemed. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. he's past redemption at this point, at least in the version that we're talking about right now. And, you know, I think redemption is a really interesting thing to think about in our current culture, you know, that there is a way for people to change their ways. Because yes, of course, like, you know, Charles Dickens didn't go hard on the capitalists, you know, like, there was not a manifesto anywhere in Christmas Carol. But You know, I think there is also value in somebody being able to say, oh, I did wrong and now I'm gonna do better rather than our current culture, which is very much like, you did something wrong. Uh, We're gonna call you out on Twitter, X. Sorry, I didn't mean to dead name Twitter. Um, uh, (laughs) I'm gonna call you out on X and, and everyone is gonna go after you and there is no path for you to learn how to do better. And in fact, it will drive you – the only people who are going to be willing to talk to you are people who are extreme and uh, will probably radicalize you further towards your position and make you double down. And there's no space for someone to actually get to change and improve and therefore improve the world, which is, like, the goal, right? Like, that's the whole point of calling someone out is accountability, you know? And so Mm -hmm. there's sort of this lovely, like – marley's coming through like yo you're about to get canceled my guy yeah (laughs) like you've got you've got one night and some freaky ghosts to do it in um and that's it
2: i love that i love thinking about i love i love adaptations i love when a story has that power to be retold but i also love taking something and working on it more you know and that's that's sort of the place that i would love to see explored even further thinking about a christmas carol as a story of, like, a call-in culture narrative and how you can talk more about that. That's really interesting, Ren. Maybe we'll explore it.
0: That's funny. Actually, the thought that I had on this watch, especially in Christmas Present and Christmas Future, this is really just a guy watching people shit-talk him and the power of, like, hearing people talk behind your back.
2: (laughs) Which
1: we now have. We have that technology. (laughs) Which is valuable.
0: We have that technology, yeah. But, But, like, the redemption... Aspect is what we are missing in today's culture like you you could get all the shit talk, but you don't get the chance for redemption
1: Yeah, you just get an inundation of information and you know We have this idea that like the information is enough, you know, like raising awareness Like we were saying earlier if I post about Palestinian children dying that is enough I've spread information Mm -hmm. and like it's not
2: you have to actually change you have to change how you live. Well, and that's also why I think the role of the ghosts here who are so important, who are also amazing Muppets, and we talked a little bit about them, but just there's a reason they're ghosts. There's a reason they're spirits. You can't bear witness without also having a spiritual connection, a guide to help you metabolize and move through that. That, that There's a, there's a difference between looking at something outside in isolation, not in community, and looking at something with a guide and the role of guides the guides the role of spiritual ancestors but also the role of community as guide through this kind of process and that was that's really interesting too as we just as we talk about this where i think there's really important part of looking at what's happening right now not turning away especially when there's only you know when this is the only way to get on the ground news and and the reality of the genocide and the atrocities and yet social media alone is a tool it's like how do you use it how do you access it and do you have the community and the people to talk to to be mutual guides through it to bear witness to unpack to metabolize the grief groups like whatever we need to create as we look at our present the ghosts of our present and the ghosts of our past you know there's so much conversation about context now. And in a lot of ways, context has become this dirty word, but like that is what the desire is. I think there is a real Christmas carol element of we have to look at our past to understand our present, to be wary of our future. And yeah, so maybe in this narrative in some yeah. ways is really, really crucial.
0: And there's also no judgment from the spirits. None of the spirits ever say to Scrooge, yes. look how much of an asshole you're being right here, my dude. Uh, <laughs> they're, just, they're just saying. Yeah. They're just saying, you just look. Just go look. It's right there. I'm just showing you. We're, just, yeah. we're being objective here.
1: Yeah. We're just letting we're just letting the actions and the words speak for themselves. I also think the degeneration of language with the ghosts is very interesting. The ghost mm. of Christmas past speaks the most. The ghost of Christmas present can't remember things and is like, did I just say that? Like several times. That's right. It. And then the ghost of Christmas future doesn't speak at all. Mm. Just gestures. Mm it's you know like and and even in that there is a feeling of support because it'll it gives scrooge room to feel things that maybe he's not able to articulate yet and act on them
2: deep deep film and (laughs) going going
1: back to you know the the uh going back to palestine you know um i think especially, you know, for uh, myself as an American Jew right now, there's, as you said, there's a lot of internal looking, there's a lot of looking back at like, oh, this is information I was fed, and I didn't question. Um, Mm -hmm. And I pride myself on like, examining most things, you know, and there were things in the back of my mind, I had thoughts about like, oh, this seems kind of weird. But, you know, it occurred to me recently that our culture was so traumatized by what happened during World War II. And what does an abuser do? An abuser is never somebody who's just evil. An abuser is somebody who was abused. Mm-hmm. And if they don't face it, they continue to enact the harm that they experienced. Yeah. And yeah, I think you are absolutely right. Like This is a perfect time to examine the past um, and examine the stories we tell ourselves that make up our identity, right? Mm. I'm not no. saying they're mm. lies. I'm saying our identity, no matter what it is, my idea of myself as Ren Mac is mm-hmm. a series of stories I've told myself. And yes. at any time, I can decide to articulate that story differently or reexamine a different so facet of it. Through
2: that non-judgmental lens of, yes, of curiosity entities. yeah of curiosity yeah which i'm sure of this wonder. adaptation because it's the muppets because it's the hensons because it's for children probably is in some ways so much closer to the like that can can reach those levels of truth to in this story because i it'll be interesting now to watch other adaptations it's it's probably one of the hardest things to do is to maintain that lack of judgment in those in the ghosts, right? Like, I feel like I remember, what's the, like, the nice. diva Christmas carol? And <laughs> that's one of my faves. Maybe we'll do oh that another. <laughs> but, like, I that's probably, I would imagine, one of the hardest things to maintain that truth of because it's hard to write a character that doesn't have judgment. And sure. it's beautiful. It's a beautiful challenge. And it, it works so, but, like, it is, as we're discussing this and unpacking it, so crucial to the truth of this story. If they had judgment, it would it would ruin it. Can they have judgment, these creatures? Because they
1: exist. They already know what's going to happen. They already know. they Because they're like, okay, I'm going to show you this, and I'm going to show you this, and I'm going to show you this. None of this is a surprise to any of these ghosts. In every single version of Christmas Carol, there's no like, oh, wow, I wasn't. Ex- Damn, dude, you really you really fumbled the bag <laughs> with Belle there. Like, Jesus. You know? like I mean, yeah, I'm sure um, someone could write a bad version of this absolutely. But like, they don't know, they know what's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) So how can you judge, you know, it's like being a teacher in some ways. Like, I like as a teacher, I will often know the lesson I would like to impart to a student. I don't know how they're going to get there. They might surprise me in how they get there. Mm -hmm. And they might find something that I don't, I never even saw. But my job is to sit back without judgment. And it's easier for me to do because I, I have an idea of where we're headed. And there is okay. something about the temporality. Uh, again, the, like going back to this, the temporality of love, you know, or the the freedom of, you know, lo- that love is free of time mm. um, in a way. You know, true love can be free of time in a way that allows us to step back and say, oh, I know what's going to happen here and just say, I think. I know where we're headed, but I'm at peace with seeing how it unfolds, and I'm curious about it, even though I maybe know where the destination is. I'm not articulating this very well. Do you know what I'm saying? No, that's I know exactly
0: what you're saying. You're talking about one of my other favorite films, Interstellar, which which (laughs) expands upon this exact concept.
1: Yes, I should have just said Interstellar and stopped talking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muppets, you know that, you Muppets know, Interstellar, Interstellar mm. is next.
0: There is a Muppets in Space movie. So the Muppets did, in fact, mm. uh, you know, venture into the unknown. They did. They mm. did. Last few things I want to hit just on the Muppet front, just because I fucking love the Muppets so much. The first, one of the first lines is from a couple of rich bourgeois pigs talking about how many meals they're eating. Great. Wonderful. Gonzo and Rizzo, Rizzo the Rat, a national treasure. Statler and Waldorf as Marley and Marley, you couldn't like you can't you couldn't use any of these muppets in a better way. My one critique though is anytime they do muppet feet stuff, I'm not into it. I don't like seeing unless it's a unless it is a fully dressed muppet like Sweetums that is like a full tactile costume head to toe. If we're doing CGI muppet feet, I I, I am out. You've you've lost me. I don't want to see the rat's feet. That's my only like major critique of this film.
2: I didn't like seeing The animals eat animal like that weird, like the whole Miss Piggy making goose, like they were very obsessed with eating a lot of birds. And I just found myself generally creeped out by it.
1: The goose was the same size as Rizzo when he lands on it. It's not okay. (laughs) It's not okay. (laughs) I, I had a moment with that. But wait, Frank, I love what you said about the pig. The, the capitalist pigs, you know, <laughs> because they're talking about like, it's like, oh, like, we're going to have breakfast and then like, what, what should we do? We'll have lunch, you know? Um, <laughs> but like later Rizzo does the same thing. Like, he's like, what time is it? Like, is it is it supper time? And Gonzo says something like, no, no, it's time for, it's, you know, it's morning. And like, great, breakfast, you know? Like, it's sort of this lovely, like, yeah, like we all want to eat. Like, we all want (laughs) to eat. The pigs aren't bad for wanting to eat. They're just taking from others, right? But we don't see that in that particular, Mm -hmm. right? But, like, the goal is that everybody eats. And I think that's sort of a wonderful, maybe it's not the most, you know, radical leftist position, but, like, until everybody has enough to eat in this world, it is a thing we have to keep saying, you know, that it is okay for everybody to want Somebody, I can't remember if it was River Frank that was saying this earlier. A big question that I have in this film is like, what is enough? What is, you know, when will Scrooge be ready to marry? When will there be enough money? What is enough in the context of like the miserly life that he leads? He's gathering all of this money, but he's not using any of it. Um, What is enough for a family that is, you know, barely making ends meet? and how is enough enriched um, or impoverished by
2: I'm going to sound like a broken record love totally and scrooge's point of view is very much scrooge's point of view he says when asked to donate to the to like the children's homeless <laughs> they don't call it this but like homeless center to the needy and mm-hmm. those who and he's, it's like very meager and his point of view is essentially well they should just people should stop having other people like we need population control he doesn't say it quite are there like no that. workhouses are there no prisons right right yes and this yeah. is this sort of like population theory malthusian population theory that was really big in the victorian era but essentially that like populations increasing and there won't be enough for anyone and so the issue is like how many people they are the issue isn't that you know, a single fucking asshole like Scrooge is taking all of the stuff that under these systems we're meant to think that like this is how it is and it's set and not that like and and also that like our produce and our capacity to create somehow would not be it would it just wouldn't be possible to meet our population. It's so uncreative and it just it's so I think the idea that like to what you're to riff off what you're saying about love that love is also like exponentially creative So not that it's just like love for love's sake, but that love allowed, there's like you can, you can start thinking about communal problem solving and there's always enough when there's communal problem solving. There's divergent thought rather than, you know, what
1: Scrooge has at the beginning, which is very convergent thought. There's only one answer to everything and it's usually no. And it did just occur to me that, you know, all of his employees are vermin, like, that's how he sees them,
0: potentially.
1: Mm, yeah. I might be reading into this, but, like, that, you know, like, that there is this idea that, like, because whenever people talk about, you know, this Malthusian concept of, like, overpopulation, we're not mm. talking about our people. Right. We're talking about the poor. They breed like rats. Right, right, totally. You know, um, you know there's, there's sort of this, like, idea that there's, there should be enough for me and my people but uh, other people should do population control. But yes, I think that you're right, that creativity, there's so much creativity in, in love and in curiosity that there really isn't in uh, a world in which we say there isn't enough, which uh, all, lo- all roads lead back to Palestine right now. Um, mm, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm a little bit of a Pollyanna here, but I, I have to believe that there is enough for everybody. That there is enough space enough time enough resources enough uh state support enough money enough freedom i have to believe that i i don't know what we're doing if a peace process doesn't involve a belief that there is enough yes it also
0: requires such imagination isn't it's it's kind of accurate but kind of not because it shouldn't it shouldn't be that hard to imagine this world that we're talking about but it is for some people but the but clearly
1: we've been struggling for several decades so sure. like yeah. you know like it is difficult it is it is when when this is all we've experienced and that this is now in our living memory you know all of us on this on this call right now it, it is impossible to imagine it was ever any other way Right.
2: But we have to and and imagine something that hasn't existed yet. That is so beautiful. If there isn't anything else, I think we should move to our awards. Oh, wait, I want to just give a quick shout out to Scrooge's hat. I want one of those hats.
0: Scrooge's (laughs) hat. One of those little nightcaps.
2: You know, how could someone be so grumpy when they have such a cute little hat? (laughs) He looks
1: so impossibly cozy um just just the sleepiest little guy. He's like the it's like sleepy time bear cosplay, honestly. like it's really great. like he it, just looks impossibly cozy it's
0: It's probably like number one in the all time list of like characters in pajamas. I can't think of another one, which is like who's just like a famous literary character who is just like that person is in their pajamas, probably which which also led to him being so vulnerable. As these ghosts were taking him around, he's like I'm I'm, I'm out here in yeah. my dressing gown. Like I feel I'm feeling open I'm I love, open, I I vulnerable. I love
1: He flies over London. Like all of London is getting an upskirt from Scrooge. <laughs> like I that's the way this journey begins. There's just like nards to the world. Like way to just like break <laughs> Break someone, you know, real quick. Yep. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that's against the Geneva Conventions. We'll look it up.
2: <laughs> okay, so that brings us to our awards. As you know, we like to hand out um, awards for each movie, and our first one is Best Politics, which will go to the character with the best politics in this movie. It's it's got to be Miss Piggy as Mrs. Cratchit for me. I felt like she got it. She got it. And whatever she got it even there at the dinner table scene. I don't know, maybe and also again we're in the meta world of Miss Piggy and Kermit are acting in these roles as each other's partner. It's like they're acting with their partner, so there's a lot going on there which I got, I picked up on. I think his bad acting really annoyed her. <laughs> <laughs> and and she was like when he's like we should be we should be like still very grateful for scrooge and say like he wanted to say nice things and she's like no no yeah but i appreciated that because and they heard the their... feast indeed yeah they have their kids at the table and she's like i'm not going to model this like because that's also very problematic to model like we'll be grateful no matter what we've seen where that leads and how that goes and how those that kind of idea thinking leads to voting and blah, 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 you know they'll be they'll see the light one day and you know and she said no so for me that was it i said I like th- I like this woman, I like her this piggy, I like her politics.
0: Bob Cratchit kind of a bootlicker, I'm realizing after this watch.
2: <laughs> especially yeah. especially just with like, Kermit's performance. Just...
0: Especially Kermit's performance, just like, we must be thankful to Mr. Scrooge. Yeah, just... and she's the one that's like, get the... get that man's name out of your mouth. We're not thanking that asshole yeah. tonight.
1: This guy is letting our child die, like, and you're doing nothing <laughs> to stop him. Like, yeah. what is wrong with you?
0: Barely gave you today off. <laughs> Fucking thank this asshole. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> we're canceling Kermit. Everyone, we're canceling Kermit. I'm ready for the emails to come in. <laughs> I don't even have to field them. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we'll forward them to you run <laughs> thank you thank you I will I will navigate it I will navigate it I honestly I pull for Belle uh. I pull for Bell. Belle is like look if you can't give me what I need I'm outie like I am yes. not going to stay here and like have this like you're you probably would give me a comfortable life but like it's time for me to go and meredith braun in an interview said like i believe she goes on to be a suffragette so in the fan fiction universe like she she's like you know but true i mean like she's like i don't know how great politics actually are in the canon (laughs) but i don't know rizzo the rat i i feel like i feel like he's very like uh, You know he's like i'm just gonna do what's right for me and like he's used to a collectivist culture because he as he mentioned he has like thousands of brothers and sisters he's like i don't know what it's like to be alone he is good at uh finding snacks yeah very but i definitely i miss piggy definitely i think is the is the winner here
2: but Belle, i didn't think about that that's so true and also again thinking in the context that this is being shown to all of these children It's very different than so many stories in which you see the woman just, like, choose the bad guy, you know, just make terrible choices for the sake of marriage. That's gender. You know who actually
1: has the best politics? Fezziwig. Fezziwig has a highly successful business and gives a ton away all the time anyway. Like, he has found a way to, as much as he can, live ethically under capitalism. I would argue he's, like, living the <laughs> most ethically under capitalism. Ethical <laughs> the ethical capitalist. Also, a moment for all the rubber chickens hanging in the Fezziwig rubber chicken factory. Like, they're just, they're, they're so <laughs> macabre and so cute at the same time. <laughs> but, like, no, I mean, like, that is one of the scenes of most plenty and joy in in mm-hmm. the film. And Scrooge keeps coming after him for like, you can't keep, you know, this, these expenditures are crazy. And Fezziwig's like, this is what it's about. This is why we work this hard is for this.
0: Amazing turn of events that Ebenezer Scrooge got his first gig was working for the the, the benevolent capitalist Fezziwig. Oh, I know even a more harsh direction, if not.
2: But if we're, it's kind of amazing because it shows you the power of the system, right? Like even just one good guy, it's not about that. It's like the system is big enough that it's gonna that he's like, I don't care, Fezziwig. All right, our next award is is worst politics goes to the character with the worst politics in the movie. Who? I mean, I guess be... like pre
0: pre revelation Scrooge.
2: Yeah, I and I don't, and I don't know if this revelation takes care of the politics quite yet. We'll see. Jury's out. Oh, you me. don't think
0: you don't think this was a life-changing event? You think on December 26th, you know, he's, like, he's like, right back, he's like, get back to work, everybody.
2: In my most optimistic, I hope, but I also feel like you know, I do, I do think if I'm talking, if I'm like in my political self, I'm like, I think there's like time. will, it takes practice. I think it's like, and you suck at it at first. Yeah. And I've seen people enjoy like there's something to me now that I'm getting cynical and a little suspicious. Like I find the like, I've had a moment and like I'm going I'm so excited for Christmas. Like it's still there's still something slightly narcissistic (laughs) about his revelation. He's like, I'm going to be a good man. And like, I'm going to give my, you know, he just saw people didn't like him. He wants to be liked. I I would like to see. And he saw his
1: own grave. He saw his bedclothes being robbed while they were still warm like this isn't a selfless act like he (laughs) isn't convinced until he's they're like yo you're gonna die and it's gonna be the worst like the fallout from your death is going to be miserable and no one's gonna care about you like and he's like oh yeah i don't want to be alone i
2: guess i'll celebrate christmas and then like just like also like they're so and i get that everyone's like in this it's kind of very black and white everyone but like I don't want my evil boss to come spend Christmas with us after you. Like no, <laughs> like I know Just the amount. But this to is be that story. To, this is a story write... of redemption. This is a story of redemption. Like, and... That,
1: and being able to forgive, even though it's been years of abuse, to like take a chance and believe somebody, and yeah. accept and accept a gift, and it's an apology.
2: Deep. It's hard. It's deep. It's hard. So yeah, it's I'm hard. gonna give him worst politics. Who thought that would be controversial? My God.
0: Pre and post revelation, Scrooge, worst <laughs> politics. We've decided he actually learned nothing except just to. He doesn't want people shit talking him anymore. That's he just doesn't. Yeah,
1: yeah. He was like, okay. that was so
0: harsh. What I just had to watch. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was really hard for me. That was really difficult for me to experience. Like fuck <laughs> everybody else. Fuck everybody I've foreclosed on and evicted fuck my ex-girlfriend but me it was hard for me
2: (laughs) you know what that energy is too the last scene where he goes a gift that he gives them he like comes back to the people he wasn't going to give any donation money to and he's like he whispers he whispers the amount like we can't even know in the ear and that's very like main character but then we get to imagine it's so it's so generous it's so generous. He, yeah, but he's like, it's so generous. I have to whisper it. And they're like, what do I give you? And he takes the scarf. I'm like, don't give this man your. This is the coziest man alive. He's got the hat. He doesn't need the scarf. <laughs> takes the scarf off, the red scarf, which looks, so, it's such a cute moment. And he hands it to my. This actually hmm. might be my favorite Michael Caine moment. I screenshotted it because I'm going to send it to people. Like, just the clip anytime anyone gives me anything because he's like, a gift. For me, it's <laughs> beautiful. Gift kept... for me, for me, for me. Well, yeah, that man. He's like, wow, this is
0: already working. This is already working. People fucking love me. I love.
2: People Christmas. are giving me shit. I get to have
1: more shit. No one told me I was gonna get things back when I gave. You know, you. like, but there is something very interesting about that lesson there, right? That like. That there is no, like, he can't just give and not get anything in return. Like, there has Mm. to be, somebody has to give something back to him in order for it to count as a moment of connection. And in that sense, I feel like this is a very capitalist movie. Yeah, The giving can't be the transformative Mm. moment. He has to have, and I also understand, it's a movie you have to physically see some like spot of color on the costume and some sort of transformation
2: just because we're criticizing it doesn't mean i would want it any other way it was what a moment i love it and the character who's that what's that muppet's name the muppet who has the scarf on is just what beaker (laughs) dr bunsen undoing he's just one neck beakers just just a neck neck. so he takes his scarf off his just neck body it's amazing. I wouldn't want it any other way. But I think, yeah, we we've, we've turned a corner. We it was it was it reminds me a lot of It's a Wonderful Life too. In my criticisms of that movie, which are interesting paired together, that there's so much of this very narcissistic giving. I'm so good. I'm good again. I'm so I'm good. good. But also, people do
1: experience more pleasure in giving than in receiving. Uh, I think this is in. Uh, the art of asking by amanda palmer but oh, um i love that book uh love that book and she talks a lot about how people are so ready to give things to you and they are so excited to 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 you know it makes pe- and like it actually shoots dopamine into your brain when you give things that the act of giving itself is a gift you know and i would i would love it if we could have a little more that. You know, just for the sake, for for the sake of giving
0: (laughs) a gift for me, a gift for me. Okay, our
1: next award,
2: our final award, best supporting slash spinoff goes to the character supporting character that this movie should actually be about. Not Scrooge, but Belle.
1: Belle, I'm obsessed with Belle. I mean, like, I'm so curious about her life after this. Like, yeah, that's fascinating. A young woman single on the eve of the Industrial Revolution. Like, you know, moving from communal living to economic turmoil trying to find her way i just i want to know what her life was like afterwards um i also want to know how the ghosts got to be ghosts
2: Ooh, yeah
1: like how did they get those jobs how did they die what were their lives like
2: scary is this
1: punishment for them or is this something that they are excited to do is this an honor I'm so curious about the ghosts. Is
0: this a five people you meet in heaven situation, or all of the like? Are they this? Are they the same? Is everyone's ghost of Christmas this, these same three ghosts, or do we all have our own personalized ghost experience?
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. I, I was going to
0: say Marley, but actually, Ren, the 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 play that you mentioned, Jacob Marley's Christmas Carol, that is ex- that is exactly that's like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are are dead exactly. version of yeah. this. That's brilliant. I'm actually going to read that because that sounds so good.
1: Do it. It's really wonderful. I I love it.
2: Mine is I don't know the name of this muppet's this sweet little muppet, but the first the young the young muppet I think is a rabbit or maybe a another The one that sings Beans. good King Wenceslas? The child that says it's Christmas day when Scrooge is having Beans. Scrooge's
1: Beans? Beans? Beans. Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
2: so beans, I want all everything beans. First of all, I need to say justice for beans because this is why I also think Scrooge's revelation is a little, the first thing he does is throw this like five pounds. I get that he's excited. He's like, I'm going to give you more money, but throws, I'm like, you almost killed beans. But I want to see more. I want to see Christmas Carol just through like be Like what was beans doing before? and then after oh like God. that day and then like you just like come across this like w- wild man who throws five pounds at you and then now your whole day is like I'm gonna go get a turkey for this man who wants to now give turkey to the town well like, we know
1: he's houseless we know he's houseless because we see a oh, shot of him that? shivering under under newspaper as
0: uh, Kermit's walking home a devastating shot I couldn't believe they included that
1: I can't believe I, <laughs> I missed have... it you cut the love is gone but you kept the tiny baby rabbit living on the streets yeah like like fade fade to black
0: shivering under a newspaper he is actually experiencing pain this is when kermit
2: is coming home yeah man i was so distracted by his terrible acting
1: and maybe his legs (laughs) maybe the feet maybe the muppet feet were getting (laughs) you in that scene (laughs)
0: Well, Ren, this has been such a joy. It's so lovely speaking with you about film and politics. Uh, We'll we'll have you back again. Uh, But before we wrap, we love discussing with our guests how we try to practice our values, our anti-capitalist values, whatever your values are, in your everyday life. So is there one practice you engage in, one organization you work with that you would like to share with us and the audience?
1: Yes. I am doing this, and I am imploring everybody I know to do this download five calls and call your reps on a daily basis on a daily basis about palestine yep um it doesn't matter at this point who's right who's wrong what the history is what matters is the fighting stopping the violence stopping we can hash out who's right and who's wrong later and everyone can feel real good about themselves but i am i am i am the descendant of a holocaust survivor of many Holocaust survivors and folks who and I am also the descendant. Uh, my uh, birth name is uh, the name of a woman who did not survive the camps, my great aunt, and she did not have any children, her bloodline died with her. And so to watch this happening to other people, when this is my direct family history, I, I really I, I I can't do enough. I am donating. I am calling. I am protesting. Like, And I just ask that everybody else do the same. And this is coming from an American Jew with family and friends in Israel. Please, please call.
0: Thank you for Thank sharing you. all that. And we will make sure to link to five calls and to ceasefiretoday.com in the show notes. Very easy resources to do. JVP, ev-
1: if not now, mm-hmm. all great organizations.
0: Ren, where can our audience find you personally on the internet if you want them to? If not, then tell them not to even try.
1: Oh, yeah. You can, you can find me on the internet. Um, I'm all over. Um, you can find me uh, starting um, in January at Lennox Mutual, which is a life insurance company dedicated to helping you make the most of the time you have. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, it's a live serialized theatrical experience curated for you and you alone. Um, So you can find that experience at candlehousecollective.com. The tickets uh, go on sale uh, on Sunday and we will be selling for, I believe, all of January and February. So you can do it multiple times. It is something you can do from the comfort of your home. Um, I love this type of theater because it's extremely accessible anywhere in the world um regardless of your health status if you're immunocompromised and you are worried about the covid numbers as they fluctuate because that's still going on you can enjoy this theater at home and uh it is also real good for people who like video games D D. oh hell yeah i highly recommend uh checking it out and then otherwise you can find me um on instagram i am Less on less terminally online than I used to be, but that's usually the best place <laughs> to
0: find me, at ren.mac. Ren, great seeing you. Thank you again for your time and your words and this movie. And have a happy holiday and a happy, happy New Year. Thank you. Happy holidays to you both. Thank you so much Thank for having you, me. Always a pleasure.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want to support the show and get access to our premium episodes and help us out, you can go to MVCPod.com to find all of that info.
0: We're going to be taking the next two weeks off, but we will be back on January 9th of 2024 with a brand new episode on Ridley Scott's sci-fi horror masterpiece, Alien. Thanks, everyone. Bye.